0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So this um, first period right after lunch, I just wanted to add a few more thoughts about the practice, explore a little bit more on working with challenging diff, challenging states of mind, difficulty in your practice, and then a little bit about beginning to be curious about the mind itself, so those two pieces so first um, about some difficulty about looking at difficult difficult experience this morning, I was talking about how if we 're stuck to something, we can redirect the attention. Uh, turn, uh, turn away from it essentially um, as a way to help us get unstuck or potentially that we can recognize that it's just one thing of many things happening in the present moment and yet sometimes there's also the possibility when the mind is kind of stuck to something that it's not um, it's not stuck to it in the way that it's kind of going into the rabbit hole of it but we can actually be aware of it so sometimes when the mind kind of orients towards something, we can, instead of trying to step back from it or, um, or hold it in a bigger container, we can just let the mind be curious about that. So something arises, a, a, a strong emotion, for instance, and it feels like the attention kind of gets pulled to that, then you might explore, how can I just be aware of this? This is a pretty familiar instruction for us with um, with our practice that if we're paying attention to something that we're directing the attention to, like the uh, the breath and we find it challenging to stay with the breath because the attention is drawn to something else. Often the instruction is well, let go of the breath and attend to that thing you know notice how that emotion impacts the body notice. Um, uh, if there are other emotions that are related to it. So, you know, kind of just allowing yourself to investigate that experience itself. In the investigation of that experience itself, noticing your relationship to it is a crucial piece. Because often when the mind is stuck to something, or it's, it's kind of, um, you know, hard to not be with it, there's some kind of attitude about it, some kind of either aversion or desire... Or confusion, even it's like, what's that? What's that? What's that? I don't understand that. And so the mind kind of just kind of dives into it. So know know the relationship. This this is uh, true for physical uncom- physical experience, physical difficulties such as pain, for instance. We can know there's pain, uh, unpleasant sensation in the in the body, and then recognize. Yeah, I can be with that uncomfortable sensation, but I don't like it. You know, so so knowing that those two things are happening, unpleasantness in the body and not liking is happening. Sometimes as we check the attitude about a difficulty, whether it's a physical difficulty or a mental difficulty, sometimes as we just let that let that attitude bubble up from b- below the level of the subconscious, we can be with it. It's like, "Oh, that's what's going on." There's frustration happening and I'm trying to fix it. So there's the frustration and the attitude of it's a problem, I need to do something about it. And if we can recognize the attitude, sometimes we can step into that allowing space. It's like, oh, that's what's going on. There's frustration and I'm trying to fix it. Okay, I can know that. I can be with that. So that's that's one major tool for us if we're kind of stuck to something but it feels like we can stay present for it. Check the attitude. We, we, it, it's helpful to um, see if we can find a space in which that experience can be happening with an allowing attitude. And it, that may mean taking a couple of steps back of noticing, okay, yep, there's, there's, um, there's anger. And then the relationship to that anger is uh, fear. And we, we notice, okay, there's anger and there's fear about it. And then maybe a step back and, and the relationship to fear is, um, is a sense of uh, needing to get rid of it or needing to, to fix it somehow. So the, uh, that, that, so maybe it's like, okay, there's, there's anger and fear and I feel like I need to fix it is happening. And I can know that. So sometimes we we need to broaden the container a little bit to check the attitude. Also with difficulty, um, if there's something that doesn't feel so sticky that we're lost in it, that we can stay present for it, Um, just being curious, curiosity about what is this experience? What is the experience of sleepiness, for example, or restlessness? Or a strong emotion such as anger. What is the human experience of that? Kind of just a curiosity. How does it? How does it affect the body? Um, What purpose does it serve? So we can investigate it a little bit in this way. There are certain what we might call difficult states of mind that we have a habitually, a habitual kind of. attitude about with meditation that we feel like somehow when that state of mind is arising it's not possible to be mindful sleepiness can be one of those we often believe that when sleepiness is arising it's not possible to be mindful so this is a difficult experience that we may have a strong belief that we need to fix or change so what I'd like to propose is if you can have the thought something along the lines of Such and such is arising. I can't be mindful while such and such is happening. So sleepiness is arising. I can't be mindful while I'm sleepy. If you you can recognize that the sleepiness is happening, there's probably enough mindfulness to be aware of that sleepiness. So if X is happening, some state of mind, and you think, I can't be mindful of X... Often, or I can't be mindful while X is happening, often it's because we think we're supposed to be paying attention to something else. Like sleepiness is happening and I feel like I'm supposed to be paying attention to the body sensations or the hearing or the breath. And when the mind is in that state, in that sleepy state, it's hard to direct the attention to something else. And yet sometimes it can be quite simple to just recognize okay, yeah, sleepiness, I can know sleepiness. So it's, it's, it's a lot to do with our, our attitude and our usual ideas about what, what meditation means. I sometimes use the analogy with this, uh, particularly around sleepiness, of a foggy mirror. You know, mirror reflects what's happening in the room, And that's very much what mindfulness does. It reflects our experience. And um, when that mirror is foggy, it's coated with steam, it's not so much reflecting what's in the room anymore, but it's reflecting the steam perfectly. It does not have to do anything to reflect that steam. It's just reflecting the steam. But what's going on there often if we feel like that's a problem is like, well, it's not doing the job I want it to do right now. It's not reflecting me So I need to fix it. I need to change it. But the mirror doesn't care what it reflects. It's just we bring these agendas to what we want the mirror to reflect. Likewise with our mindfulness. The mindfulness doesn't care what it reflects. It just reflects experience. It just knows what's happening in the present moment while it's happening. If there's dullness or fogginess or sleepiness, it's kind of like there's a a a haze over our mind. And it may be difficult at that time to pick something to be aware of. And yet, being aware of the haze may be the most natural thing in the world for that mindfulness at that moment. So that's another thing to explore when there's something that feels like it's difficult. Is it because you are um, um, believing that you're supposed to be paying attention to something else? So with sleepiness, we often feel like, okay, sleepiness is not, not what I'm supposed to be mindful of. I'm supposed to be mindful of something more tangible, like body sensation. But what might it mean to be aware of the human experience of sleepiness? We can be aware of anything, of any experience that arises in our, in our mind. We can, we can know it. And so this receptive awareness practice begins to... Um, what it can do or can help us with is to begin to broaden our ideas about what we can actually be mindful of so at this point in my practice in this forum if i think anything like well i can't be mindful while such and such is happening in, i don't believe that thought instead it's like i turn it around and say okay how, how might i be mindful to be able of be, how might i be able to be mindful of that thing of such and such if I can know that it's happening, there's a way to be mindful of it. And so this one little piece has been hugely impactful in my practice. It's like this curiosity about, "Oh, I don't think I can be mindful while that's happening. Let me see. Don't believe that thought. Let's see. Let's check it out in the laboratory of our experience. Is it possible? And it is possible to be mindful? of whatever is arising in our experience. So it's like with this receptive awareness practice, we are learning to allow the mindfulness to seep out and infuse many different kinds of experiences that we never would have thought we could be aware of or even noticed. And you know, When we're directing our attention, we're missing all kinds of things that we are, are, are unfamiliar to us. So this, uh, this receptive awareness practice does take us into unfamiliarity. It does take us into terrain where we're not so familiar or comfortable perhaps with being mindful of experience. And yet that edge, that very edge of, ooh, I'm not sure I can be aware of this, that's the edge where mindfulness can stretch. So often that feels like an area of difficulty where it's like, I can't be mindful of that. So if you have that thought use it instead as a kind of a a leap into the curiosity of, oh, maybe I can be mindful of this. And then the other piece, uh, which we'll do a little bit in the guided meditation, is beginning to notice, the way I'll go into this, looking at the different functions of mind, or different, you know, beginning to look at the mind itself, is... Um, Kind of in contrast to the body, the Buddha talked about there being bodily experience that happens and mental experience that happens. In one teaching, he described um, five different processes at work in our in our organism, processes that um, we tend to we tend to cling to he often uses this teaching to describe where we construct a sense of self, and so this can be an interesting exploration to begin to see these processes at work and see they are just happening they 're not they're not they 're not me they 're not mine they 're just processes that are that are going on and so these these five processes are the process of body and then four mental processes so in this teaching there's a kind of an emphasis on the functions of mind. So there's the process of feeling of whether things are pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. There's a process of, um, um, I'll skip that one for a minute, there's a process of perceiving, there's a process of recognizing our experience, that when we Uh, meet experience in the world, Uh, one function of our mind is to recognize it, to kind of catalog, look into its catalog of, have I seen this before? Oh yes, that's a chair. Or, oh yes, that's a wall. Or, oh yes, that feeling, I recognize that feeling, that's frustration. So there's this process by which we recognize our experience. It's kind of a naming, perhaps, of experience. That's one function of that perceptual process a big function of that perceptual process is recognizing what's happening and then there's the knowing process that we actually simply know experience, every contact every sense contact, every sight sound, smell, taste, touch there's the contact with the, with the sense organ, the skin or the eye and then there's a process of mind that knows it so there's a knowing process. And then there's a process at work whereby we respond to everything that happens to us, which includes all of the emotional responses, all of the uh, thoughts. It's, it's, a, it's an area of mind called mental formations or volitional formations. It's, just, it's pretty much everything else that happens in the mind outside of feeling, perceiving, and knowing. So it includes all of our emotions, all of our mind states, all of of the uh, kind of intentional activities of mind, such as thinking. And so things like um, anger, fear, frustration, confusion, wanting, pride, arrogance, excitement, all of those are mind states, all of those are volitional formations. Things like mindfulness, concentration, wisdom, uh, tranquility, um, uh, equanimity, love, compassion, all of those are also mind states. All of these are these volitional formations. So this is a big, this is a big category, this one. It's a a vast area of what happens in our mind and how we often get caught. Um, When we are struggling with something, there's a volitional formation that's at work, uh, some kind of reactivity at work that is a volitional formation. And so this is a big area that's of interest to us to explore in our practice. So one of the ways to begin to um, be curious about these processes of mind is to look at them in kind of distinction or contrast to the physical experience. More often than we might think, we confuse a physical experience with a mental experience. So, for example, um, um, when, we f- when we put our hand in a bucket of, of um, water, maybe we experience that, ex- that sensation as being um, pleasant or unpleasant. Maybe if it's hot outside and the bucket of water is cold, we experience pleasantness. So the bucket of water, the hand going into the bucket of water, creates this, what I will propose to you, is a, is a mental experience of pleasantness. It's not inherent in the hand going into the bucket of water that it will always be pleasant. Conditions, different conditions, can create... Um, Different experience. So for instance, if it's really cold outside and you put your hand into a bucket of water that's that same cold, maybe it's unpleasant. So the, uh, the, the conditions influence whether we experience as pleasant or unpleasant. So it's, it's actually constructed by the mind. It's a mental experience. And, and um, I heard recently that I read a book Called self comes to mind, uh, which is by the neuro um, neuroscientist uh, Antonio Damasio, and he, in that book he pointed to. You know, I was I was actually interested to hear that neuroscientists also say that feeling pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral is constructed in the mind. It is in the brain. It is constructed in the brainstem. In the this really kind of low area right at the base of the brain and so even neuroscience uh, says it's not it's not actually at the sense door you know that feeling of pleasant unpleasant or neutral is not actually at the sense door it's in the mind so so that's one way that we can confuse body and mind is that we often think that when we're experiencing a physical experience and it's pleasant or it's unpleasant, we think it's inherent in the physical ex- experience, but it's actually constructed by the mind. That feeling tone is constructed by the mind. Another way that we can confuse body and mind is through that perceptual process, that recognition process. You know, when we pay attention to our body... Um, sometimes I'll sit down with people and ask them to describe, what are you noticing? You know, what are you noticing in your body? What experiences are you noticing in your physical realm? And they may say something like, I'm noticing my foot, or I'm noticing my shoulder. And what they mean, actually, perhaps, is that they're noticing sensations that are in the area of the shoulder, or sensations that are in the area of the foot. Foot and shoulder are concepts. They don't actually exist. They are an idea in our mind. What actually exists in the sensation level of experience is pulsing, tingling, vibration, pressure, hardness, heat, coolness. There's no shoulder in the actual physical sensation level of experience. And yet very often we you know we 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 have this um, uh idea or map of our body, and we're relating to our experience through that map and not through the direct experience. so right now, put your attention in your hand in the sensations in your hand. what are you experiencing there it's you know the, just the pulsing or tingling or vibration. Maybe close your hands or close your eyes right now just feel feel the sensations maybe some coolness some vibration tingling maybe some stiffness or pressure or hardness just whatever the sensations are and now open your eyes and look at your hand and think about it as a hand and what hands do, they reach for things. And so this is bringing in the concept level of experience when we look at the hand and think about it as a hand. And what happened to the sensation level of experience? It kind of got stepped back. You know, so this is actually often how we are relating to our experience. We're relating it to through the idea of experience and not through the direct experience. This is not necessarily a problem because relating to experience through concept is a way that we navigate the world I mean I come in here and I don't have to work to know that that you know there's there's a room and there's chairs and there's you know people in the room and you know I don't have to work to do that it's it's very automatic and I have to say that most of the time I'm relating to the experience through the concepts I know I it's like you know I don't I don't have to think oh that's a chair there I can't just go walk through that chair you know, I, I understand what co- what chair is partly because of the concept and the experience with chairs in the past. This is useful. What is not so useful is when we take that concept to be reality, because often associated with concepts are a whole host of beliefs, of views, of opinions, of ideas that get layered with the concept. And then not only are we just are we seeing experience through the concept, but we're seeing experience through the concept and our ideas about that concept. It's a good thing. It's a bad thing. Those kinds of chairs are good. Those kinds of chairs are bad. Those kinds of chairs mean this. Those kinds of chairs mean that. We do this. Around our relationships to people, around our relationships to objects, to ourselves, to, uh, to uh, ideas, actually. We, we can do this also. It's like, you know, the idea of who's running for president, you know. Lots of concepts come up in my mind around this. You know, so uh, um, there's so much that we see through not only the concept, but when we're not recognizing that we're Exploring experience through the concept uh, rather than uh, knowing that it is a concept that basically creates the conditions for us to um, pick up all of those beliefs and attitudes and views and just be seeing our experience, seeing the world through those attitudes and views without knowing that it's beliefs and attitudes and opinions that is influencing how we take in experience. And so it's not necessarily a problem. It's not a problem that we navigate the world through concept, but we need to know that's what we're doing. And we need to be aware that concept comes with this danger of being uh, having the baggage of a lot of views and opinions and beliefs connected with it. So these are a few ways in which we can begin to explore um, our experience. And in the guided meditation that we'll do here just now, I'll take you through a couple of uh, ways in which we can begin to notice this distinction between physical experience and mental experience. So again, let's stand up for a moment before we sit down to uh, meditate again.